Hey, lobbers. As you know, this podcast is supported by Patreon. Patreon is a lovely equalising system, which means that people who can afford to support artists fund podcasts like these so that people with less money can listen for free. So... If you value the work we make and you want to help us continue, please support us with a monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash life of buy. And you might even get interviewed by us. <laughs> Every new patron brings us a little bit closer to living off the work that we love. Thank you. Bye. Bye. life of bye we're back we're back again we're back again i'm mary and i'm l this time this is a pretty interesting one actually yeah this is the first of a mini series on queerness and faith because after the christmas episode we remember that it was about um christ's side wound very yonic yeah it was about like christ being non-binary yeah there's all this theory around the side wound meaning that christ was non-binary because yeah, it basically it, looks like a vagina exactly if you haven't listened to it maybe maybe do but also no pressure the point is <laughs> after that we had quite a few listeners reach out to us and say oh i'm christian so that really resonated with me um or they were like brought up christian and we were like what an interesting aspect of queerness that we've never thought about before yeah and also i would say that season first series of life of bi because it was like a historical look at bisexuality christianity doesn't come off well and that stuff no it really doesn't we didn't we didn't have the most familial relationship with it because yeah. we were looking at you know colonialism yeah and the suppression of queerness in other countries by the uk which uh is not good there was quite a lot of you know it basically yeah. wasn't getting a good rep so and also you know it's important to know we were both brought up atheist we'll yeah. go into that um a bit later and so that's that's why it yeah. ties into this uh, the other thing that we're doing with this series this mini series within a series <laughs> the series being about queer experiences that we have not or could not know for ourselves mm. Being Christian and queer or having a faith and being queer is a different experience for us. And we're only starting with Christianity because, to be honest, that's what came knocking on our door first in the form of two incredible interviewees who um, you'll hear about in a second. Um, But if you're part of a different faith community or you used to be part of one, then get in touch. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to... We'd, yeah, we'd love to find out more. Or if you know any queer religious leaders, other people that you think we should talk to, you can point us in their direction. Yes. Maybe not, like, really high-ranking. <laughs> Anyone got eyes on... I don't know. The fucking, Dalai Lama? Dalai Lama, not, uh, not, not, not anymore. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. And this feels like a pretty special episode because yeah. it's the first time that we've interviewed two listeners 
of the podcast. Yeah, this is kind of what we hoped would always happen, which is yeah. we're now getting into conversation with the people who listen to our show and yeah. learning things from them. And also, they were people who were very different to us, who live over in the very United far States, away. Yeah, um, who had completely different lives to us, and we were just amazed by the kind of connection we had with them. Yeah, it was incredible. We just don't get to do that, do you? You never know where it's going. Exactly. You, just, you put it out and it you goes in people's ears and you've got in, no idea what happens yeah, after that. In your bedroom. And then somehow some ex-pastors in the United States are listening. <laughs> um, anyway, that is why we sound so excited in, in this recording. <laughs> Hi! Oh my God, so nice to meet you. Oh my God, so nice to meet you. <gasps> wow. Oh, it's so good, like sort of meeting you I feel like you must get this all the time but I'm like I feel like we're good friends I mean you've been chatting with me for months now but we've never met so that's what's creepy about the internet so S who you just heard there is an ex-evangelical pastor and we met her of a mega church of a mega church which which is is an incredible term yeah 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 a mega church Um, we met, so she's the one, she's one of the people that we met on Patreon. Mm. Um, S uses she, her pronouns, and she was introduced to Life of Bi by her partner, who is also an ex evangelical pastor. What? They met as evangelical pastors. Yeah, well, they ran a congregation together. They looked after a congregation together. And now they're both queer. Yeah. So we're keeping S and her partner anonymous because at least at the time that she first messaged us, um, they were only out to each other, their therapist and us, which Which is is amazing. Before we asked S any questions, she asked us a question, Mm. which was uh, she wanted to know what our religious backgrounds were, like if we had any. And, like, the short answer is... No. No, non-existent. But then we started thinking about it, like, properly. And we have, like, smatterings of Christianity. There's quite a lot of lazy Christianity that gets filtered into education in Britain, I'd say. And if you're not, like... It's just around, regardless of whether or not... Like, I went to... I, went, I mean, I went to a Church of England school, so that wasn't that wasn't but, under the radar. Yeah. That was like church every Monday. But I went to a non-religious school, like no religion at all, and we said prayers every day before lunch. And the prayer was, I've never forgotten it, for food, fun and friends, we thank the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Which I actually quite like, if you take out the Lord bit. I love food, fun and friends. I can get behind it. And then... At uni, I sang in a chapel choir because I got money for it. Yeah. Uh, so I, for someone who's an atheist, I spent a lot of time singing about God. Yeah. And the music is good, but the lyrics are dodgy, to um, to quote Tim Minchin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I guess and the other reason I my upbringing was like so atheist is because my dad um, this yeah self-describes as a recovering Catholic. Uh, this is a great story, guys. So he is stressful that you've said that now. Oh, sorry. Because what if I don't tell it well? You will tell it well. It's a great story. I guess it's hard to fuck up. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my dad, uh, long and short of it, is he trained to be a priest. <laughs> there were reasons for that. He wanted to escape his hometown, which is this like very poor like Scottish town just outside Glasgow that had nothing going on he wanted out Mm -hmm. and that I think is a lot of sometimes that's a lot of the reason why people turn to faith Uh communities they offer like a window he trained to be a priest 
And he was trained to be a priest. He was doing quite well. And he loved preschool. Very fun. Anyway, he started seeing this girl outside of mm. school. He was sneaking out of the seminary after hours to meet this girl. Not allowed. And one time he was coming back, he was met by one of the <gasps> monks. Monks? Monks? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Priests? I don't know. Don't know. Teachers. But he was discovered, basically. He was found out that he was sneaking out of the school to meet this girl. Was he thrown out? He was nearly thrown out, but they let him finish to stay his, uh, to, they let him stay to finish his exams. Wow. And in that intervening time between mm. being nearly expelled, but not quite, he also got frequently got in trouble for having like agnostic kind of conversations with other boys. Infiltrating their minds. Mm. Discussing the pros and cons of whether or not God exists. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool, Mary. It's pretty cool. The point being that neither of us grew up with religion in our lives. Lucky you. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of trauma and, uh, you know, therapy that you've just escaped with that. So that's nice. S describes herself as being, quote, basted, boiled and baked in religious culture, unlearning practically everything. So she and her partner are trying to cycle break on behalf of their three kids. And given that, we asked S to tell us a bit about how she came to discovering her own queerness. Now, for me, my journey to discover my queer orientation, I take on the title, I suppose, queer. Um, because I'm still literally, I feel like the cement hasn't even properly dried on it. It's not yet a year that I have come out to myself and then soon after partner. Um, so this is all very new to me. I am 42. So we're talking late in life. Um, but I think I would attribute that a lot to my my Christian upbringing where it just wasn't a thing. Um, but it didn't exist magically. It didn't exist. 0% of the population. Mm-hmm. Um so for myself, uh, my partner came out as bi, um, probably, I'd say probably two, two and a half years prior. So um, I came out to him last June. He was not at all surprised. Um, two, two and a half years prior, he had come out to me. I was not surprised. I almost wanted to tell him. So I genuinely, I feel like it was one of the many reasons that I even chose him as a partner, like it was just something I was very much into. So that being said, I think one of the main issues that I had in covering my own queerness was, um, uh, okay, backtrack a little bit. Uh, there is, a um, a newly and undiagnosed hunch that I have that not only am I ADHD, which I've known my whole life, but also autistic. <laughs> so that's new. And I'm still struggling with that one because I don't, uh, the autism one is, you know, quirky and charming and bubbly and what is it? A, a pixie, manic pixie dream girl. The autism has come, um, kind of hit me, uh, blindsided me a bit. My son is now diagnosed level one autistic uh, and ADHD. And both of my siblings, the one who is non-binary and my brother are both on the spectrum as well. So it made me think, okay, what's going on here? All the symptoms were lining up. That's an aside in saying the way that I discovered my queerness was similar to me discovering my neurospiciness or my neurodivergency, which was I thought everyone was looking at the world the same way. And that way was my way. But I thought I had a straight orientation because I'm like, well, absolutely, men are extremely hot and I'm attracted to that 100%. 
interestingly, only certain types of men and not ever the ones that I am told are hot by other people who now I realize are probably straight. Um, (laughs) And also women are hot because women, how can women not be hot? Like don't, so I went through that whole phase of being like, everyone's a little gay. And then I slowly thawed to the idea that you know, I'm the problem. It's me. Um, so not the problem, but I just, there was this bizarre moment where I thought, you you know, I'm not a quirky person. I'm a person who is neurodivergent and I'm not a, you know, really open-minded, super ally straight person. I'm queer. I am what referred to as queer, but I didn't know (laughs) because I didn't realize that that was the definition. So, (laughs) Um, I still have a hard time, by the way, with straight people because I think that they're lying, but I don't, I can't tell. I spent, I mean, like, especially women because I just, Mm. I don't know. I'd have to like, you know, like hook them up to those, uh, the truth, like the, the lie detector machines and be like, come on, boobs, really? So anyway, (laughs) I digress. Side note. Two side notes here. Side note one, the lie detector experiment that S imagines here has actually been done already. In 2007, by sexologist Meredith Shivers and co, and her co, (laughs) attempted, they attempted to measure arousal in cis men and women. And in that experiment, the lie detector in this case Mm. was what we call a penile or a vaginal plethysmograph. Which, if it was on, or on a penis, measures the volume, and if it's in a vagina, measures like the blood flow oh my by god. using light reflection <gasps> oh my to see god. how moist it is. Oh my god! So it's like I think it would be like a glass dildo. Wow! With with like measuring equipment inside it. Okay, a glass dildo that can see inside you. <laughs> <laughs> This is mental. What did they do with it? Well, they were just, they wanted to like, they basically wanted to work out this thing that's like S is saying, which is like um, this idea that do people lie about their sexuality? Like, can you measure arousal? Does it map onto, does what you say you are map onto what your body responds to? Right. So they showed images. Yes. It was all about showing porn. Right. To, I think they, I don't know if they were trying to actually look at that gap between what you think you are and what you your body responds to but they were interested in what happens to these cis men and cis women when they watch porn right so they were showed they were shown different kinds of porn so there was like gay male porn mm-hmm. lesbian porn uh het porn right. and then bonobos oh yeah they were interested the primate if, yeah like the animal yeah <laughs> and they what they discovered was that uh the cis men tended to only get aroused by what they said that they desired. Right. So, like, if you were gay, you'd be attracted to the gay stuff, but less attracted to the uh, het stuff. Yeah. But the cis women were aroused by basically everything. They had a arousal response. Right. And that's that at the time sent people that like, sent some people kind of kind of loopy, being like, "Oh my god!" Like, basically, women, all women are pan. Right. Although they weren't saying that. But like women don't know, like women's sexuality is like un like uncontrollable and whatever. Yeah. But Emily Nagoski, who's an amazing another amazing sexologist, has this book, Come As You Are, and in that she really is really clear that like arousal is a response. It's right. not desire, it's just a response. Right. 
And there are, uh, sadly, other reasons why. It could be helpful yes, to have an arousal response. If you live in a body with a vagina and you're aware of sex going on around you. Yeah. There are, there are safety reasons why it's good to get wet, basically. Ah. That mean that you, that protect you, which is a dark side of that thing. But basically... There's no way of knowing whether or not... What the line is between There's, physical yeah. arousal and felt desire. Yeah. Yeah. We just have no idea. So that kind of test doesn't work... No. ...necessarily to... And that's definitely not what Urs was saying, but I just wanted to throw that in <laughs> because I was like... Saying. This does exist. Yeah. And I think there's a common thing, which is like, oh, they just, they just like, people don't know whether or not they're... There's no way to measure that. Yeah. We have to go off people's word, even if... You know, boobs. <laughs> Side note. Side note. Side note two. This is a long tangent. But S's mapping of her journey towards a queer identity onto her discovery of her, as she puts it, neurospiciness <laughs> is not uncommon at all. So more and more research is being done into the link between queerness and neurodiversity. For example, a University of Cambridge study found that autistic adults and adolescents are approximately eight times, eight times more likely to identify as asexual and other sexualities than their non-autistic peers. That's amazing. I mean, eight times, huge. I know someone who recently did an ASD assessment Mm -hmm. and was diagnosed with autism, and they ask about gender in the assessment. That's very telling. And they were like, this person was like, oh. (laughs) They're like, yeah, I have been thinking about it. (laughs) So basically, we would love to do another episode on this as part of this series. um, Because it's just a really interesting and fruitful area. It just keeps coming up with the people that we talk to. All of our queer friends are like, I have ADHD. I might be autistic. Yeah, And a lot of the people we interview at some point, it comes up, some kind of neurodivergence like pops up and you're like, this just keeps coming up. Yeah, so if you are neurodivergent, um, and queer, otherwise known as a neuroqueer. So cool. Which is a term we discovered today. Um, then get in touch. It sounds like a Superman. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like super queer. Super queer. Yeah. <laughs> now back to S. How long ago were you an evangelical pastor? And how mm-hmm. do you relate to faith now? Like, what? How's what's that journey been like? Oh my gosh, I love these questions. I feel like. I'm just realizing now for about five years, I think I've wanted someone to ask me these questions. This is fantastic. In terms of timeline, my son was born 11 years ago, and that was when we took uh, what at the time was going to be a parental leave for a year from all ministry, both Andrew and myself. Um, Now, we used it as an opportunity to take a break as we had started feeling that the values and goals and trajectory of our church, which was like big worship sets, concert style conferences, laser shows, like all all the tacky trimmings that you can imagine, very like American style, what's sometimes referred to as Pentecostal or um, evangelical, that type of a church, and upwards of 
three, 4,000 people at a conference. So this big, big, big. We started to feel that the trajectory of the church was heading pretty much in the same direction that it always had been. But our own values and um, convictions, I would even call them, and I would even call them to be spiritual convictions, were just, there was enough of a gap that we knew given enough time, the mm. the difference was going to be huge. And we now, we can now see that near like over a decade later, it is quite large. We can, we can barely recognize the life that we used to live. Um, the people we knew, which was very difficult because the separation from the community was its own uh, wrestling that we had to go through because spiritually we knew and felt that we were doing the right thing, even if we were doing it alone, which was difficult, but the loss of community and people that we had known our whole lives, mm-hmm. um, was a, a secondary struggle that we had to work through. One of the, the, the most bizarre takeaways I think from that was that I realized that I didn't miss it. And I, I had been told my whole life that I would miss it profoundly. Um, that I can exist without it. And here I was not only not missing it, but really quite flourishing without it. <laughs> so that was, that was not as advertised. Um, <laughs> it was I'm like, I've been lied to. So in queer culture, we have this idea of your chosen family, mm-hmm. stemming from the idea that your like family of origin might not accept you in the same way that people in a heteronormative society do. Yeah. So you need something else. But from what S is saying here, there's obviously also an element of family in your faith community. Mm. And so that's pretty difficult if you're a queer person within a faith community that you would have to basically leave behind Mm. your chosen family to find your other chosen family. Yeah. Like there's a choice there between, or at least S certainly felt that there's a, there's a sort of fork in the road. And I think that image of a fork in the road is really important because like what happens if you decide to stay? Firstly, we're really sorry about the time zone thing. Oh dude, no problem. It, Shit happens. Also, this is this is generally a day that pastors hate because we have to get up an hour early and everything goes wrong. Like, it's just that day. This is Kate. So Kate is another Patreon of ours who got in touch. Um, they are a bi-demigender pastor. Amazing. Which is an incredible collection of descriptors. It should be on a badge. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, Kate is a pastor with the United Methodist Church. Um, and she uses she, they pronouns. Mm. I was really excited when we video called Kate because they were wearing incredible earrings and they had really brightly coloured hair. Like which, lilac and blue. Yeah, it was lilac. And then when we asked them about it... I think it was an ombre effect. I think it was blue to lilac. It was, yeah, it, it was, was stunning. shimmering. Yeah. And when we asked them about it, they said that they colour code their hair according to the liturgical calendar. Which is mental. Which at the time, it, it was, was Lent. Lent. Which, who knew that was purple while kate did (laughs) iconic i received my call to ministry at 15 and um an altar call is when you invite folks to come up and pray about usually whether or not to invite jesus into their heart um but also sometimes those those asks are specific to a particular situation so in this instance we were invited to pray about so the boys were invited to pray about whether or not god was calling them into the mission field Um, so in other words, whether they were called to be missionaries or pastors or, you know, some form of full-time Christian service. 
the girls were told to pray about whether or not we were being called to be pastor's wives. Right. So because I am contrary as fuck, I decided to pray about whether or not God was calling me to the mission field. So 20 minutes later, I went back out and told my youth pastor, I think God's calling me to something. And um, the general reaction was lukewarm at best. So at this point in her life, the odds were stacked against Kate already for being perceived as a woman, let alone for their burgeoning queerness, which was quietly blooming in the background. Yeah, so from a young age, Kate knew that she was attracted to boys and girls, but she also knew that this was wrong in some way, so they kept it to themselves. Until, ironically, they started training to be a pastor. When I got into seminary, I went to seminary in Washington, D.C. at an awesome school called Wesley Theological Seminary. And it was the first time where I was in like really daily contact with queer people. Um, Several of my classmates were gay or identified somewhere on the spectrum. And it was the first time that I kind of realized that like, oh, this is the thing that that like people can do and still, you know, and not completely, totally ruin their lives. Um, so it was around, I was around 25 when I really, I started to like out loud and to myself say, okay, this isn't a phase. I'm always going to like both men and women. I'm by. Um, but by the time I was ready to admit that to myself, I was also, um, a candidate for ordination in the United Methodist church <laughs> and the United Methodist church, uh, then and now, um, prohibits what we call self-avowed practicing homosexuals. How's that for a mouthful? Um, to be ordained. And it also does not permit pastors to perform same-sex weddings. So I had a, um, a reckoning with that. I, I dropped out of seminary for two, for a year, walked away, um, and really kind of had it out with myself about whether or not this was still what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and ultimately made the decision that yes, it is. Um, and I, I knew already at that point that we were moving as a denomination toward a place where we would eventually ordain out queer people. Um, and I knew that I would have more, more power to advocate within the system as someone with clergy credentials than without. So Kate returned to the United Methodist Church, still in the closet for now. I'd kind of made my peace with being in the closet. Um, it, it was like, you know, there there will be a day when, you know, I can serve openly. But at that point, in 2016, um, we had a, a lesbian candidate come through my annual conference. Um, and uh, she was voted down by something like 12 votes. Like it was a really small margin of error. So she was kind of the test case. Will uh, boards of ordained ministry vote these candidates through? Will bishops ordain them? Uh, we'd kind of reached a point of civil disobedience. Side note. Side note. <laughs> you need a little bit of niche United Methodist Church or UMC knowledge for the next bit. There's a UMC general conference every four years where select delegates gather round to amend and revise this thing called the Book of Discipline. And the denomination's constitution, i.e. basically what, what rules everyone should be following. 
Back to Kate, who in 2016 was about to be ordained herself, but... That same year, two of my friends were removed from the ballot for ordination by the bishop because they were both married to same-sex partners. And I just, it was a nine hour session. These are things are normally like one or two. And it was close. It was after midnight. And I just remember standing on the stage as they announced my name and people were applauding and I was just crying. I was bawling. It did not feel good or right. And to this day, my greatest regret is not withdrawing my name from from the list of candidates who would be commissioned that day from from at, at that annual conference but i i made a promise to myself that night that i was not going to go through the full ordination process without being out so kate knew it was only a matter of time before she would have to come out to her congregation and then in 2019 um the methodist church had a special general conference outside our normal four year cycle Um, that was specifically to address the issue of, are we going to change this language in the Book of Discipline that says that self-avowed practicing homosexuals cannot be ordained and that pastors cannot perform same-sex weddings? Um, That legislation um, failed by a fairly small margin, Um, and it was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I remember sitting in my office watching the watching the live stream of the vote and just it was agonizing um but then this really weird thing happened the next day i put out a thing on facebook that said i would be in the office for anybody who wanted to come talk about what had happened and i had four different people come out to me the next day from my church um And every single person I talked to essentially said, we don't want to be like this. We we want to do the work to be fully affirming. So after years of processing and coming out in private, Kate came out to their congregation in September 2021. And they sent us a recording of it. My spiritual journey that when I back off and go, I don't think that's a good idea. The Holy Spirit is like, oh, yes, it is. It eventually became clear to me, to my doctors, to my husband and my mentors, that I needed to come out, that I needed to live in the fullness of my identity as a queer pastor and woman of faith, that this was something that God was not only calling me towards, but that I desperately needed for my own physical, spiritual, and mental well-being. And so step by step over the last 15 months or so, that's what I've done. First to trust of colleagues, including Pastor Pat. Then to the Board of Ordained Ministry in my written paperwork and when I was examined and approved for ordination this last February. And then to my amazing work family at St. Paul's. And now, at last, to you. But here's what I hope you take away from this long and winding story of mine and today's scripture. First, Stories are important. Not just the stories that we read in the Gospels or tell our children at night, but our very own stories are deeply cherished by God. Each of us has one, and it is messy 
and beautiful, painful and hopeful. And God knows all of it. Second, our stories are being written and rewritten every day of our lives. It wasn't too late for Philip and Nathaniel to do something different, for Simon to receive a new name and become Peter. It wasn't too late for them to pick a path that looked nothing like what their lives had looked like before. It isn't too late for me, and it's not too late for you. Finally, curiosity is a two-way street, and vulnerability invites vulnerability. We cannot ask to know everything about others without sharing bits of ourselves in the process. We cannot expect others to know our experiences, our hearts, and our hurts when we've been hiding them away. So if you are feeling disconnected or afraid, if you're grieving or angry, I promise you there is someone here who wants to hear your story. I hope, if anything, you will use this moment as an opportunity and an invitation to share more fully and freely of yourselves with God and with each other. Where are you from? What are the stories that have shaped your personhood and your faith? Can anything good come from this deep, searching vulnerability? I hope you'll come and see. I wasn't really sure how it was going to be received. Um, and there was this, sorry, I'm going to get emotional. There was this really beautiful moment where um, I finished the sermon and I turned around to go back to my seat. And when I got there and turned back around, everybody was on their feet. And it was, it was amazing. Um, now keep in mind, this is a church that four years earlier, when I got there, there were people who, if you sat in their pew, they would come kick you out. Um, wow. So imagine the level of systemic change that has to take place. It was, it was, it was amazing. It's an amazing video. Yeah. We'll have to put the link in the description. Yeah, we'll put the link in. Because it gave us shivers. Yeah. I mean, we actually both wept. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's is just an incredible so brave. Um, reaction. I've never spent time in a church seeing someone give so much of themselves personally to a sermon. Mm. Um, and there's something quite theatrical about it. Yeah. This is the funny thing. I think that we were both like... We were watching it and I was like, this is like stuff we've done in our shows. Yeah. I don't, that there's something about the reaching out of vulnerability mm. that is how you're forging a connection with people. Yeah. It's an amazing thing to see it live like that. Um, and I think, you know, if I'd had people in my life who were religious, who had that kind of 
spiritual energy that people like K and S have. Mm. You know, religion wouldn't be seen as such like a stuffy old thing for me. Yeah, I think there's something about the fact that like, you know, we're trying to find ways to relate to experiences we don't have. Yeah. And something about watching this thing, which was quite, like you said, theatrical. Mm. I was like, oh, I recognise this. This is something I know. Yeah. This is something I actually do. Yeah. Like, which so that so suddenly I didn't feel so different. And like in a very literally theatrical way, there's a standing ovation at the end. Yeah. People are standing up and clapping. And it and it deserves it. Yeah, by the best coming out ever. Yeah. I mean I'd have fucking loved that when I came out. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, was my standing out. <laughs> but is that enough? Here's S again. There's a part of me that still holds out to see the um the um perhaps mythological uh, crossing over of uh, Christian faith community and the queer community. And I don't see that, I haven't yet seen that in practice to the extent that I feel that it's possible and to the extent that I would feel comfortable. So we have attended churches that are moderate, Either they just don't touch, you know, the LGBTQ issues and they're like, live and let live and let's talk about something else. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't be overtly um, homophobic towards um, uh, anyone in their community who might identify with the queer community. But there is that like, it's it's very insidious. It's like, a, a, you know, marriage is still between a man and a woman, uh, there's healing for homosexuality if you pray enough, which is that internalized homophobia, which uh, to me is worse than the Westboro Baptists with their signs, you know, like gays go to hell. That's overt. So, you know, to avoid them at all costs. Um, it's the internal homophobia, which actually I feel uh, my partner struggled with much more than I did. Also being male, um, where you no longer have to tell people with same sex attraction that they're wrong. They tell themselves. They beat themselves up and they they repress their own uh, interests and personalities um, because they want to do the right thing, you know, mm -hmm. either for the church community or for the Lord or for themselves or whatever it is. So it's very I find that to be far more harmful. While Kate's coming out as bi was received really warmly within their church, they're still wary of how to broach the topic of their demigender identity. Yeah. Um, so, so that is brand spanking new. Um, as in, I just changed my pronouns on the church website two days ago. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> um, you see me wearing lipstick today because um, it's Sunday. Like this is the feminist I ever get. The process of coming out as non-binary is a little more complicated because, quite frankly, it has bigger safety implications. Um, the the reality is that um Montgomery County, Maryland, which is where I I have spent my last five years in ministry, um, has a um fairly high hate crime rate against churches. Um and well, not just against churches, against religious buildings and institutions. Um, but my being a queer pastor already makes us a target. Um, my coming out as non-binary complicates that a little bit um so i've chosen not to make a big ass announcement this time so it's a really 
delicate balance Mm. isn't it like what you keep to yourself of what you are versus what you share yeah and it makes like coming out such a bureaucratic process yeah like in order to get where they are today like Kate's had to do so much work behind the scenes Mm -hmm. um and all this like pushing for reform within the religion as a whole yeah is about like making space for herself. Yeah, like changing it from the inside <clears throat> out. Yeah, that requires so much patience and selflessness because you're doing it on behalf of other people who are going to come after you. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an incredible and remarkable thing to witness. I don't know if I'd have the patience for it. Yeah, I think you'd have to like. Well, I think you'd have to believe in God. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the motivation here is yeah the fact that she, her faith is so strong. Yeah, but not only faith in God, but also like faith in the system of the church. Yeah, you have to have faith that the church will change with you. We asked S what her faith looks like now she's left the church. Uh, spirituality must have meaning for me. Um, I find that most of Christianity at this point has very little or negative meaning to me. So uh, even something simple as, you know, bow your heads and close your eyes. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why the hell? Who decided decided that? My my feminist side is like, what white man decided that we had to do that? Who who (laughs) was looking around that they made this a general rule for for all Christians everywhere that we must do two actions or else... The supreme sovereign being of creation won't listen to you. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I had to pan out. Um, And I do find, I find there to be a joy in critiquing and questioning nearly everything that I used to believe. That's almost become a spirituality unto itself. So I feel like there is a thing and we all know it and we all sort of sense it. And the moment we try to trap it, we're wrong. The moment we try to pin it down and create rules and say we're in and they're out, we're wrong. We missed the point. The moment we did it, we missed the point. So my 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 life school has been to be to pan out as far as I can and to be as open as I can um, and uncomfortable as I can for as long as I can because that's where I feel that if there is a God thing, then that's where they are. Mm-hmm. The end that's that's so beautiful amazing (laughs) so beautiful oh and god is totally non-binary if god's a man i'm out totally out (laughs) (laughs) maybe but like non-binary i'm in i'm in if god is trans i'm totally in (laughs) and then that is like the um queerest summation of like theology that i've ever heard which is like the second you put it down you're wrong (laughs) yes yes. way to think about anything basically Mm. and it's in flux I think that's what I find so beautiful about the queer community is that you know even for even for myself very like a personal experience I can't I can't nail it down I don't know it's other and so I give it the term queer but it's not you're you're absolutely right it's in flux it it has movement to it has life to it it's not stagnant Mm. um which also means that it's never boring and you can never, no one ever can own it because it it's shifted. It's like a, a river. It's shifted the moment there's, um, 
there's a bridge here in Toronto that goes over a river and the, there's a lettering in the iron over it. And I've always loved it since I was a kid. And it says, it's a quote from somebody, don't know who. It says, the river I step in is not the river I stand in, which is to say the moment you step in a river, the river has moved on. You, The river that you stepped into is gone the moment you're in it. So I think that's so much of life, but absolutely the queer experience and absolutely spirituality. It just, you know, took me 42 years to realize that. This just gives me shivers. Mm. It's such a beautiful image. Yeah. The moving, it just exemplifies something. It's so, when S was talking about all this, I mm. just had this like full body shivers. Yeah. That like start at your top of your head and go all the way down. Yeah. I and we had that listening to Kate. As yes, well. yes. And I would even go as far as saying that a full body experience like that, some people might even call it a numinous experience. What's that mean? Numinous is like it's when you you experience the divine. Like oh, in yeah. a moment, you have this like deep sense of spirituality and like of there being a presence. Yes. And so it strikes me that, like, we we all experience those moments, but we just have different words for it. There is something remarkable about them because what you're responding to is, like, a untangible idea. Mm-hmm. What someone's saying yeah. and then the way that your body responds is so physical yeah. and so unusual. And it does feel like... That tingling thing, I guess, is like an awakening yeah. thing. It's it's like awe. And someone like Kate and someone like Kate might say, Well, that's God. Someone like S might say, like, that's my spirit. But like, we're all talking, we're all just using different words for the same phenomenon. And also, you know, the reason we're getting this reaction from these two people is they are like even though S has now like isn't a pastor anymore, mm-hmm. she exemplifies the skills that it requires to be a pastor. We mm-hmm. we we talked about this mm-hmm. after we'd hung up the call. Actually, just like she was such a joy to talk to, and we felt so much connection to her so quickly. Mm-hmm. They were like, obviously, you would have been like you would have been amazing at your job, yeah, because you have this ability to like open up a world while talking to someone yeah presence and like joy and energy that you give so freely to other people Mm. that is what makes that happen that reaction yeah you have faith in the person right Mm -hmm. who is like who is passing on their faith yeah i was also really struck by the um s's use of the word flux here yeah like it just it stood out to me so i it's such a beautiful word firstly but i Mm. googled its etymology Mm -hmm. because i'm a nerd (laughs) (laughs) um and i just thought you might enjoy this stuff Mm -hmm. so the first one sounds a bit like period late 14th century abnormally copious flow (laughs) um from old french flus Mm. a, a flowing a rolling a bleeding or from Latin fluxus, flowing, loose, slack. Wow. And it becomes fluere to flow. This idea of like, another one, I mean, another thing it references is dysentery. <laughs> it, it's an early name for dysentery, a sense of continuous succession of changes, which is the nicest explanation wow. of like diarrhea basically I've ever heard. <laughs> but this, 
that I love that though. That word flux I think mm. is really important here because we're saying that the link between S's queerness and her faith mm. is this idea that she is happy to sit in flux and the not knowing yes. she's like we don't know i don't need answers and the moment you try and fix it it's gone Absolutely. and it's the same for queerness and when you're in and flux you need faith yeah and kate's faith is we said that she hopes that the church will change mm. so that's a kind of flux too that's a sort of bureaucratic flux yeah a harder flux to push and forward. you have faith in the fact that change will happen mm-hmm and it's weird. I think that when we think of faith, it is so connected to religion. Mm. But it's just a word that... For that, hope, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's hope. It's about having faith in, like, the people around you. You can have faith in your queerness. Like, queerness is a kind of faith. And I think that is what gives us that... F- I think that's what the shiver comes from. Mm. Like, the shiver in watching Kate's coming out mm. is a shiver of the bravery of it Mm. and that comes with this like hope that things will change it's amazing to see a pastor say that thing and you have this response of like whoa maybe things can change yeah and then when sarah's talking about like religion like that so broadly yeah again you've got this like wild zoom out feeling yeah faith is about possibility Mm -hmm. and i think that's what both these people showed us and queerness is about possibility Thank you for listening to Life of Bi. This episode was written, edited and hosted by us, Elle Potter and Mary Higgins. Sound design and production by Tom Foskett Barnes. With thanks, huge thanks to S and Kate for sharing their stories with us. And thanks to our newest Patreons, Tiago, Thea, Caroline, Ram and Rachel. Woohoo! We love you. I just want to say... And it ain't over till the bisexual speech. Hey, lobbers. As you know, this podcast is supported by Patreon. Patreon is a lovely equalising system, which means that people who can afford to support artists fund podcasts like these so that people with less money can listen for free. So, if you value the work we make and you want to help us continue, please support us with a monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash life of buy. Living off the work that we love. Thank you. Bye. Bye.